0: Welcome back to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm excited to have you here and share today's episode with you. Um, it's actually going to be a two-parter. It's that good, and I just I want to share it all with you. So it's going to be two parts, each about an hour long. I'll be talking with Josh Hoffman, who was diagnosed with major depression at just 12 years old. And we'll be talking about what depression feels like. We'll be talking about why people self-harm and we'll be talking about how to approach conversations with people who self-harm when you're trying to support them, including what not to say. This is something that's not spoken about much and I think it's a really important conversation. I think you're going to get a lot of value from it, whether you're someone who. Um, has experienced depression and and um, uh, currently self-harms who has or who has in the past or whether you're somebody who perhaps hasn't experienced those things but you want to know how to best support those people in your life who are going through it right now or who have been through it in the past before we roll the episode though I want to give a content warning. It is a really heavy episode. We we do a deep dive. We'll be talking about suicidal ideation. And as I mentioned before, you know, themes of self-harm and, and other topics in that realm. So if this is going to be triggering for you, if you're not in the right headspace, please give it a skip. You matter and I care about you and you deserve to take care of yourself. You can come back to this episode at another time or just skip it altogether. Totally cool. No judgment. And without further ado, let's roll the episode. G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff, and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Josh, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm glad to be on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Um, and I don't want to beat about around the bush. Like, let's get right into it. Let's um, get right
1: into it. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> let's do it. I mean, your journey is, you know, it's so powerful to me and I really want to elevate your voice and allow you to share that with people because at the age of 12, you were diagnosed with major depression. Yes. Um, and I'd love for you to just talk us through that journey up to the diagnosis point like how did that unfold for you
1: well so it was it was kind of interesting because like uh when i was talking to you earlier uh i'm that i think around 10 or even 11 i probably actually or even earlier in my life because i believe my depression is genetic because my grandma actually Mm -hmm. suffers with depression my mom Uh, suffered with with depression when she was younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all have their own uh, coping with it. My grandma is more like me where she's medicated. And my mom actually went a whole different route. I'm not sure if Mm -hmm. you've heard of uh, naturopathy. Yeah. Uh, She went that route and went kind of extreme in the way of how they had her. Pretty much they found that sugar... Mm -hmm was kind of the main thing. It wasn't like depression. She wasn't trying to f- fix her depression, but mm-hmm. uh the intolerance part and so she, now she for the longest I can remember now like she's been off of sugar like a no sugar diet and that's right. obviously really difficult. But uh enough about that. Uh <laughs> I've uh probably had depression for a long period of not ni- of my life, but when it actually hit me was 12 and i remember that there was two times two pivotal times with uh my my depression for 12 so there was the i don't know which one came first to be honest or Mm. how it came i do i think i know which one came first actually when i um was 12 i i remember i was in my bedroom just after school and laying down, just thinking. And I was, and I started thinking about life. I started thinking about, uh, from, for some background for people. I grew up in a Christianity family and grew up in a Christian background. So there was that, uh, uh influence of God and that God has a purpose for your life mm-hmm. and, uh, idea. And then I also just knew from, my family and society that like people are supposed to have like a passion Mm -hmm. uh, work-wise and just in general so putting those two things into account for what I'm about to say of uh, when I was 12 I was just thinking about these things and I'm like I don't have a passion like I there was nothing that I felt like I had a passion for or I felt like was calling me out to do anything like I don't I couldn't think of like oh I have a career that's I want to do or I don't have a purpose like a greater purpose to impact people or a greater purpose for something and you know a normal person even my mom was like you're 12 like (laughs) you know that's not that's not something for you to worry about right now but like I don't know what it was about me it's always been a thing that I've Even now to this day, it's always a big uh, thing to me that Mm. uh, passion and purpose and being able to do something that you love in life instead of just following what society tells you to do and stuff. But that's pretty much where that came from is that I just, I felt like life, what happened is I didn't feel like I had a purpose or passion or didn't feel like I had any direction in life. And that then my brain started going along the lines of, okay, if I don't have a purpose and passion in life, that must mean that I'm worthless, that I'm hopeless, that I'm meaningless, because the logic is like, oh, God doesn't have a purpose for me, or uh, even if you take out the God equation, you know life in doesn't have a purpose for me or there's no there's no purpose or why don't I have a passion why don't I have Mm -hmm. something that is calling out to me or whatever and I just got into that space and it 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 just got into if anyone that has uh has struggled with depression you know how those thoughts can uh go in kind of a turmoil and just kind of mm-hmm. keep circling so this had been going on for a few months where i just kept thinking of and going through this in my head and mm-hmm. having this turmoil in my head of oh i'm worthless i'm hopeless i have no passion and purpose why do i have a passion and purpose and also trying to figure out okay what is my passion and purpose so i wasn't like just being negative i was mm-hmm. trying to figure it out but nothing was coming i wasn't being mm-hmm. able to figure it out Um, or I wasn't listening enough, uh, (laughs) cause it's hard when you're in that negative thinking also, I think. Yeah. And it just kind of got worse than I think the negative thinking front of like, oh, I'm just, I must be like worthless. I must, I have no meaning. Like why, why do I even, it got started going, getting into the stuff of like, why do I even exist? Why, why am Mm. I here? That type of stuff. Even that one night, it was like that. And, um, but after like a few months, there was one night I was, I had this like, it's called Awanas, but it's essentially a kind of like a youth group
2: Mm
1: -hmm. that I went to at the time. And even then I was kind of like, eh, like it was fun because they had like games there and Mm -hmm. you got to interact with people and stuff. But uh, my mom was taking me to that and we were walking up to go into the church right about to like, like she drops me off because it's like for two hours or whatever at night. And um, before we went in, I don't know what came over me to say it, but I was like thinking then. And I think this was the first time I actually had like legitimate, like I probably had some other suicidal ideation and thoughts, but this was like the first like intense time Mm. i think Mm. or like my thoughts were really intense and i didn't know what this meant and self-harm and i don't know exactly how intense or how it was going because it was so long ago but all i know is that it i was i do remember i was very suicidal and i was worried about myself and worried about my like i was like very emotional and i was worried Mm. that i might hurt someone else or hurt myself Mm -hmm. uh in that state um at 12 and uh and I told my mom something along those lines she said oh and you know she was surprised very taken back Mm. and after that I didn't go to it or maybe I did go I don't remember but that night I really don't but she (laughs) i do remember after that uh, a few weeks after that or a month even uh i went to this counselor Mm -hmm. or a psychologist or whatever you uh would like to reference them as and they diagnosed me i don't know if it was the first session or if it was a two to three sessions exactly Mm -hmm. but uh it was my mom and me in the room and it was the counselor psychologist and we were talking about like it because back then i was very i was more timid i wasn't as much of an advocate for myself so my mm-hmm. mom was more of an advocate not as c- necessary with therapy but just in general mm-hmm. um even with like doctors because i had a lot of stuff that went on uh in my past but that's it's mm-hmm. a whole other thing uh I got a lot of surgeries, so she had a better memory of all of them and all those types Mm. of things. And so between my mom and I, from the different perspectives we had, we and probably more her perspective, we talked to the counselor and therapist, and then that day or maybe after two or three more sessions, uh, I was diagnosed with major depression Mm -hmm. uh, or major depression disorder. Or mm-hmm. and uh, it could i think it's major depression but honestly it could have been chronic but i think back then it was major depression and there's mm-hmm. been times probably in my life that it could be um diagnosed as chronic but i would say it's probably more major depression in general so mm-hmm. which are kind of the same when you look okay. up the uh terms
0: so what, just on that, because you mentioned um, chronic depression and major depression, can you share like just a brief overview? What is the difference between those two? Because I know for me, I'm not super familiar.
1: Um, really from my understanding when I've searched it up, because even I don't know this uh, super yeah. big of the difference, uh, chronic depression or a chronic depressive disorder or major depression disorder. Uh, major depressive disorder is like they're very mm-hmm. similar when you look at them uh side by side they almost uh can be called the same be very similar almost called the same or can be confused mm-hmm. with the, one mm-hmm. a, another so a person that's diagnosed with major depression disorder or someone that's diagnosed with chronic depression uh disorder that it's very similar like some mm-hmm. or the almost the same where if someone says oh, they have major depression disorder. Someone also might say, not necessarily chronic depression disorder, but they'll say like, oh, this person has chronic depression. And in mm-hmm. some ways, they're not exactly wrong.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I, to answer your question, I don't fully know where the line exactly crosses of, oh, um, you have a dis- uh disorder for chronic depression or major depression i think the the really the thing is you've had the symptoms the it's like you have to hit three to seven of the symptoms for the dsm five um to be diagnosed with any of them for Mm -hmm. depression and then for chronic it's similar but the only difference i would say is for major depression and chronic depression, it may be for a longer period of time. I think for major depression, it is you've been feeling those symptoms for as long as two weeks straight. And mm-hmm. for chronic depression, it could be, you know, a month to three months or something like that. Yeah, That's, right. That is my um, best guess. Yeah. But I, I, I would uh, further uh, advise the listeners to do their own research on it.
0: There's a lot of nuances, aren't there? And I think there's also a lot of overlap. It can get quite complex and overwhelming if you go too deep. But going back to what you were saying about, you know, you're a 12-year-old, you're in your room, and you're just overwhelmed with these feelings of what's my purpose and why am I even here? Like that's full on. I know for me they weren't thoughts I was having until I was in my mid-20s, you know, and I think (laughs) someone at that age is probably – better equipped generally speaking to maybe navigate some of that but right. yeah even when i went through that it's overwhelming as someone in my mid 20s so i can't even imagine what it was like for you as a 12 year old they're really big feelings
1: oh yeah it, i pretty much questioned my i always call it an existential crisis cuz it really was and i always call it um i can't think of the word but oh questioning my existence essentially mm, mm. and you know you can i always i always think back to it and i'm like there are so many people that i mean people do that at some point like you mm-hmm. said like you mentioned like you had that uh circumstance when you were like in your 20s mm-hmm. and a lot of other people have it at different times in life their first one or because most people have multiple at some point but mm-hmm um yeah to hit you hit 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 it at 12 or for there are all, uh other individuals that even have it younger it's pretty crazy to mm. think about
0: what i'm really impressed by is that you were brave enough to share the the suicidal thoughts you were having with your mom um, yeah because i know not not everybody you know is sure. has the courage to do that or maybe in some situations it's not safe um Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, it sounds like you had a, you know, very supportive mom who advocated for you.
1: My mom was probably um, my closest relationship I had at that mm-hmm. time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the only other relationship that I would say was, like, super close was my best friend mm-hmm. and he was also dealing with his own stuff that i helped him through Mm -hmm. and he helped me through some stuff also but he he dealt with so much stuff through uh with life it's Mm -hmm. sometimes i didn't like to add other stuff Mm -hmm. to him Mm -hmm. uh if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense
0: go back to 12 year old you you're with your counselor or your psychologist and you've been given this diagnosis what was going through your mind at that time
1: honestly I really back then I just kind of accepted it Mm -hmm. uh, because I think I accepted it because I honestly didn't know Like, I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't, at that time at 12, I didn't, I didn't have a full grasp of even the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. I had a full grasp of, I guess, my existence, but, Mm -hmm. or had some sort of a grasp of death, you know, I had a grasp that we weren't going to live forever and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, but I didn't have a grasp of exactly what that meant. And even if I was to ask like, oh, what does that really mean? Uh, and they told me I still probably wouldn't have fully understand understood until like I've gotten older now. And mm. because I still like was in the first stages of it, like I hadn't been having it for very long. Right. while at like 14 or 15, I actually could be like, oh, because I could actually be like, oh, this is what major depression is because I've been. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast?
0: Yeah, go for it. Yeah,
1: Uh, I've been dealing with this shit for for lack of a better way to say it, and internally that I I had a better uh, way to name it. You know, like I could be like, okay, yeah, this is depression. While like at twelve, I didn't, I hadn't been experiencing it for that long, Mm -hmm. so I didn't really know. Like I honestly, when I I guess the thing that I thought is when they f- first uh she first diagnosed me with it I honestly questioned it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh
1: I honestly was like I don't know if that's completely accurate. Even mm-hmm. if like I don't know if this is really depression. I don't know if this is depression or if this is just a bad place in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh or just a bad state it also did not help that going through the therapy with that uh counselor for i wanna say it was three months mm-hmm. um I really just wanted to get out of that therapy office mm-hmm. and i just I just hated therapy because. It did, she did not feel I, she wasn't the right fit for me she mm. If, almost felt I- invalidating or mm. almost I don't even, I don't know if invalidating is the right word I try to push out the mem- those memories out of my head I can't even really remember anything to be completely honest all I remember is I was diagnosed I and I questioned it and the other thing I remember is that after i was done with that therapy i was so glad that i was out of therapy because i hated her Mm. i hated the experience and i actually even though i was depressed because i essentially was supposed to be in therapy until i was quote unquote cured or quote unquote wasn't dealing with the suicidal ideation at least anymore Mm. i was still dealing with the suicide suicidal ideation but i just kept it on wraps because mm-hmm. I just was done, like I was done with her, and I didn't want to talk mm-hmm. to her about it anymore and deal with how she was approaching it. Mm-hmm. I also know that after I was done with therapy with that uh, individual, that I actually did not, I actually like hated therapy after that. I really did not want to, like I didn't believe in counseling or therapy after that. At mm. that at that time, at least mm-hmm. I was just like, ah, uh, th- if this is what therapy and counseling is, I don't want it,
2: mm. Mm.
1: and I don't think I'll ever get better through therapy and counseling. You know that type of thing. So, yeah.
0: yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's it's such a shame that you had that negative experience because not only are you twelve years old, probably going through puberty and dealing with all those hormones, but you've also yeah. got major not depression. To mention those, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's hard enough at that time um but i think unfortunately it's an experience a lot of us have have been through like having mm-hmm. a therapist who we just they're not a good fit and it's oh yeah you know and i guess as a 12 year old you're not really in a position to go oh you know i want to find someone else or even able to articulate this isn't working i want a different therapist um
1: yeah and i didn't and honestly back then i didn't know that was an option you know yeah, no one told yeah. me like that was an option cuz mm-hmm. i didn't know and Yeah, I just, no one told me anything. Mm -hmm. I think what I will tell uh, the viewers, uh, for whatever age they are listening at, that if you have had a bad experience with therapy, don't necessarily give up therapy and counseling. Mm -hmm. Because I I had that bad experience with therapy and counseling, and I've actually had now good therapists and counselors. Mm -hmm. And... I will tell you, at least for me, it makes a difference. I know mm-hmm. for, uh, people, it's not always a good fit for mm-hmm. them. Like that, therapy and counseling just doesn't work very well for them. Uh, but the other thing I will uh caution or say to people is that most of the time when people think of therapy or counseling, they think of what is called CBT
2: therapy Mm -hmm. or
1: cognitive behavioral therapy which is like talking through your past life Mm -hmm. and how that potentially affected it and honestly in my experience that doesn't really help depression Mm -hmm. uh it might help other diagnoses, or like uh trauma like certain Mm -hmm. traumas or uh abuse that might help with dealing with uh going through the your past, but with depression, it's more of a present feeling and a more of a present-based thing. So I would, CBT can help, uh, but I would advise people to also be aware that, look into other therapies and know Mm -hmm. that there are other therapies out there, not just CBT. Mm -hmm. There is DBT, which is hard to get into, sadly, because that's what I'm in and I think it's probably one of the most beneficial ones uh dialectical behavior therapy pretty much makes it so um you are working in you're working with your present problems and I think that's why and building up uh coping strategies that's why I think it's honestly the in my experience the best but there's also art therapy there's uh music therapy there's a lot of other you know even i i imagine animal therapy and other therapies uh so i would say to people that i've given it up or don't like cbt or whatever um look into what other therapies that exist and read some descriptions on them and see like oh i didn't know that existed like yeah yeah because yeah. I didn't either.
2: Mm, mm.
0: We have options, right? I know for me, yes. you know, I've I've probably been through six or more different therapists. Um so yeah. I would agree with you like if it's not feeling right, move on. Yeah, and exactly. CBT, I think I'm similar. Like there's some benefits for me. I'm talking on a from personal level. Um but it's it's definitely a very popular um therapy right these days and it, i would say it's probably the main one yeah it but is there definitely are others the main so one. find do some research find what works for you you know everybody is different cbt might be perfect for for someone listening but for someone else it might not be very useful so yeah know yeah. that you have options you're not stuck for sure mm.
1: No, there's always other options such as like the art therapy and stuff like when I first learned that art therapy was a thing I was like this is that's really cool that you can like (laughs) paint out your feelings and figure out through like painting and drawing I was like why didn't no one tell me about this one sooner
0: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah I mean sometimes you don't feel like talking about it yeah Um, exactly yeah no absolutely so would you be comfortable sharing what it was like to have suicidal thoughts like what was some of the thoughts going through your mind and how did that feel
1: Mm -hmm. well it's kind of hard to think think back to like all of them uh, or Mm -hmm. what what thoughts because they change Mm -hmm. uh but throughout my life uh to give some context to people i dealt with depression and suicide ideation and I still deal with depression and suicide ideation but mm-hmm. when it was the the at the most intense and the worst mm-hmm. was around 12 to 18, 19 mm-hmm. and with my suicide ideation thoughts I would say a lot of them were you don't matter you're worthless, you're mm-hmm. uh." you don't mean anything, uh, or, yeah, you're hopeless, you're worth nothing, uh, no one would care if you died, uh, you, sh- you should kill yourself. Um, there was actually this, at some point, suicide became problematic in the way that I also had, throughout my life, I had to also keep my anger in so a lot of my anger became suppressed and Mm -hmm. through that anger being a lot of suppressed anger i actually started not always having it but sometimes through suicide ideation um there was sometimes i dealt with what i call homicide ideation but Mm -hmm. it just it's not as extreme as like people always think but mm-hmm. it's essentially like thinking of yes how you how a person would think about it as like killing another person mm. or or thinking on an extreme level of that not that i would do it mm-hmm. but it's but sometimes i did have those and i also noticed from my own observation as i got older is that at least for me with self harm uh i did cut i did I I had a lot of different self-harms that I went through. There was times in my life where I uh, cut, uh, punched myself, Mm -hmm. um, scratched myself with my own nails. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, after I felt that I couldn't cut myself with a, a knife anymore, I... I I went to punching myself and, and scratching myself because I knew that cutting myself was bad, but there still was those emotions of anger mm-hmm. and the suicidal ideation. And my thought process was, well, those aren't better than it. And also, they won't leave the marks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the... Because... For what I know is that some people, when they cut... This is, I think, a uh, misconception with cutting. Mm -hmm. um, Is that sometimes when people cut, they are, yes, uh, not necessarily... Are seeking attention, but not seeking attention in the way of like, oh, they're... Some people put it as a negative when they say that, like seeking mm-hmm. attention and a, like, oh, they're just, you know, an attention whore or something like that. But really, you know, they're seeking support that, you know, that's in the main reason why ha- why someone is doing it. If they are showing it. But the more often than not, uh, someone that cuts does not uh, or purposely chooses to even if it's on their arms purposely chooses not to show it um, or hide it or that because they're scared of what people will say and they're scared of um, you know the, the attention so a lot of mm-hmm. times people think that people want attention from it but often uh, people that have cut um, they just are doing it as a way to get out their overwhelming emotions, and right. that, yeah, and the arms uh, I'm not exactly sure why it's always it's not always, but why the arms are commonplace, I think it's because mm-hmm. it's one of the first things we see mm-hmm. and just it's easy. You can flex your arms easier. You know, but I also know people uh I had an ex i know, uh that did her legs. I know people mm-hmm. do their legs commonly too uh because it's easier to hide than your arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people even do other places um, mm-hmm. now, I don't recommend cutting to anyone, but I also completely understand why people do it,
0: yeah. And I, I think, you know, I'm someone who also, you know, um, I haven't done it for a while now, but I did self-harm and I cut. And I think for people who have never self-harmed, they find it really hard to grasp why on earth you would oh, ever do that. Yeah,
1: they don't understand the self-mutilation They don't get process. it.
0: And there's a lot of, yeah, and they, they there is judgment. I think they come from a good place where they go, what are you doing? You know, and... Yeah, For exactly. me, there was a lot of shame around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the first time I self-harmed, it was on my hands. so It was very visible. Oh. And then people go, what did you do? And I just, my answer was, oh, I hurt myself. Like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. I, th- I, I didn't want to admit it. And mm-hmm. then I didn't want people to see it. I moved to my arms. And at the time I lived in the UK.
2: Right.
1: It's
0: cooler weather. I wore a lot of jumpers. It was, I could hide it most of the time. Right. Um, and over time I shifted to my upper thighs because like you said, it's really easy to hide. So yeah, that exactly. shame for me. Um, but I always see self-harm as this it's, might be a bit controversial, but it's a coping mechanism. And I actually yes, think it's a very yes. in the short term, it's a very effective coping mechanism. Yeah. Straight after I cut, I would feel much Rel- better.
1: Relieved, yes. I yeah. I didn't mention I didn't say that, but I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying there because mm. I think why people do it in the first place and why people actually do cut is as a form of a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. um i think it also is one of those things we know as a society like self-mutilation isn't good we know that we shouldn't harm ourselves but i also think like you were saying that there is such this big shame around it Mm -hmm. and that is in my opinion If you come across someone that has cut, um, that is the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Like, that is one of the worst things you can do is shame them Mm -hmm. um, for cutting. Because after after they cut, they may regret it already. They may feel guilt for it or shame already. They don't need more shame from other individuals, even if they are... Like you said, um, coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, why would you, like, questions aren't the best thing to say, of like, oh, why would you, why would you, um, why would you do that to yourself? Well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: most of the times after the fact, they don't know. Most people yeah. can, don't have an answer for that because they're, all, that they already have that relief or it's been a while mm-hmm. since they did that um, cutting and they, That was an intense, uh, a different intense state and overwhelming state for them than they are right now. So it's hard for them to, one, it's just hard to explain the overwhelming intense state that they were in when they did it. Mm -hmm. And two, they're not in that state anymore. So it's hard to also explain to someone. I mean, in layman terms, you would say, I was in a very, very intense and vulnerable and overwhelming state and that's why I cut. But it's mm-hmm. not that simple, obviously. No. I think we definitely need to be wary of shaming other people for cutting or even other, e- even other um, what society sees as a quote unquote negative uh, coping strategies, a matter if that is drinking alcohol or drugs or something else, there are healthier coping strategies. There are unhealthy right. coping strategies. But that doesn't mean that that like there's still coping strategies and there's a reason why right. those people are doing them. Mm-hmm. They're not pe people aren't necessarily doing those coping strategies because they want to exactly. I mean they do you know what I'm trying to say.
0: I do. And I think you know, for each of us, we're just doing the best we can at the time. Exactly, yes. Mm. Yeah, and so, if that's self-harm, then it then it is. And like you say, it might not be the healthiest way, but, you know, it does give some sort of relief and release. Correct. And that's why we keep doing it. And it, it is hard to stop. I don't know for you, but it's it's almost addictive, right?
1: It, it, it is, and I find that very interesting because mm. I feel like a lot of um, – Again, I very, I'm, I caught, I not caution, but I am very careful with saying as unhealthy or bad because I, yeah. I don't like that. Saying it that way, context that way, it is unhealthy, but I don't want to say it like, oh, you're wrong for it because they aren't. Yes. Yeah. Um, that cutting and drinking and doing drugs, that they are addictive in a way and Mm -hmm. I think the reason why is because they do have instant relief pretty instant relief but they but they also leave a lasting impact in Mm -hmm. some sort of way Mm -hmm. a matter if that's with cutting pain and potentially shame and guilt Mm -hmm. Uh, alcohol maybe it's a hangover or something or some other factors physical factors Uh, with drugs it could be a whole different thing Mm -hmm. Uh, but and I'm not saying like anything about like I honestly don't know the experiences with the drinking and uh, Mm -hmm. drugs but I I do know with cutting and that I can I actually one of the reasons I definitely like was aware of the uh, addictive factors I, I realized that Oh my goodness, I was almost uh relying mm. on when I had an overwhelming emotion to do that. Um mm-hmm. so I think the other reason why people cut I think is also is that people don't know or aren't aware of um potentially other coping strategies that right. exist. Mm-hmm. Um so and that's no fault of their own, really. That's mm society doesn't we don't have anything in place in society through schools or if uh parents or other people around them don't know other Mm -hmm. good coping strategies Mm -hmm. um then yeah there aren't necessarily they don't necessarily have a great coping strategy Mm -hmm. to use so it's hard to fix uh or replace that coping strategy with a healthier one if they don't know any other healthy coping strategy. Right. So I think that's the yeah. other thing, mm-hmm. because when you have those overwhelming emotions and intense emotions, if you don't have something else coping strategy, well, you need something.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I think also when you're dealing with those intense emotions, your mm-hmm. ability to think clearly is also hindered a bit because I think I know for me, you know, I knew I probably shouldn't be cutting and there were, were probably better ways, better might not be the word, but healthier ways or, or ways that wouldn't harm my body to cope with it. But in the moment that was, that was what was accessible and I knew that it would give me a quick relief. And I'd say in the short term, it did give me that, but in the medium to long term, it was not helping me at all. Something I want to unpack with you is, what about people, there's, they have someone in their life who is self-harming. What should they say to their loved ones, like they've, they've discovered or maybe they've told them they're self-harming? How should they approach that conversation?
1: Hmm. Honestly, from my perspective, I -hmm. think if the person that self-harmed is willing to talk about it, uh, listen. But if Mm -hmm. they honestly a lot lot of times probably won't want to talk about it or aren't Mm -hmm. willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is just to make them feel that they are accepted and still mm-hmm. validated so i personally if i noticed a friend cutting you know it might surprise me just like mm. anybody else but i would um i wouldn't necessarily ask you know why did you cut mm. but i may ask potentially was there a reason but do that carefully and realize mm. obviously what's try to notice what state they're in Because if they're in a high emotional state, they're not going to take that well. Mm. Um, But I honestly would make sure you just tell them that even though, like, they cut, like, they probably are feeling guilt and shame for it. But just reminding them that it's okay.
2: Mm.
1: That, you know, you're not a bad person because you did it. Right. Because Mm. I think, at least in my own experience... Just in society, I feel like there's a lot of shame and guilt for doing that. If you come at it an angle where it potentially would provoke more shame and guilt, that's just making it worse, mm. and might make feelings of I don't know exactly, but the feel the feelings may become worse, or they might actually resent you in some ways because you're making them feel worse um not necessarily Mm. depressed always but just you know you're invalidating them right Uh, Right. exactly and i think
0: asking those why questions can feel quite confrontational and mm -hmm. there's an underlying judgment whether or not the person is meaning to do that so i i'd agree i'd avoid asking those why questions
1: i would i would definitely talk to them in their own time about it Yes. Is how I would approach it. And if they, if you notice it and you want to say something, I wouldn't necessarily go out at it from asking a bunch of questions or Mm -hmm. accusing. You might say this from a noticing perspective of saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe later, like maybe you noticed it, but don't say it right then because you're still in that surprise state. Say it maybe a little bit later when Mm -hmm. they're and you know they're in a relaxed state and stuff and just say and it might still trigger people a little bit but if you say it they'll they'll get what you're saying of like mm-hmm. if you were to say it to someone hey like especially if you say it in a very empathetic voice if you say yeah. like hey i noticed that you had some cuts on your arm and i just wanted to say it's okay and that i love you and care about you mm. And leave it at that. Don't say anything else. If they want to say something about it of like, yeah, it was a really bad day and it was really overwhelming and all this type of stuff. If they want to explain why they did it or didn't do it, let them and -hmm. listen to them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But if they're, you know, don't pester into it. Don't like just say that, like just say that you remind them that they're loved and cared about. And that it's okay that they did. Mm-hmm. and leave it at that especially like if you're coming at this perspective from like a parent um or mm-hmm. this is your f- you know you this is your friend that you really care about or I- any of those lines you, mm-hmm. your kid your your you saw your parent potentially or um a friend coming at it from that angle I think is good obviously it at the first of saying hey I noticed could potentially a little bit triggering but once you've i think you finish your thought and finish what you're saying and you leave make sure you leave i would say so don't just like keep talking to them like nothing happened i would actually like leave and let them process what you just said
2: Mm.
1: and honestly that could probably make a person feel very that would make at least for me i can't say for everybody uh, but if it's a close relationship, I feel that it would make you, f- a person feel validated.
0: Definitely. Like hearing you say those words, I almost got teary. Like I wish someone had said that to me at that time because mm-hmm. yeah, I exactly. didn't feel worthy. I think hearing someone say that I love you and it's okay without judgment, that just, that's such a soothing feeling, right? Um, and, you know, these conversations aren't going to be easy, but I will say, don't ignore if you notice someone is self-harming. Don't ignore it.
1: That, that's the other thing, too, is there's two sides of the coin. There's the yeah. there's the um, noticing it and, you know, there's three sides of the coin, really. There's the mm. noticing it and sitting, like, asking a bunch of why, kind of judging, pestering, right. all those types of things. And you don't want to do that. You Mm -hmm. should come at it from my side. You should come at it from empathy and Mm -hmm. understanding if you can or try to. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other side where you know it's happening, but you just, you know, put a blind eye to that. And I think that's almost, if not as bad as doing the invalidating because Mm -hmm. it's not the same as invalidating with words. Um but at least with words, they know that you're coming from a place of love. while mm-hmm. if you just ignore it and you do notice it, and especially if they know that you've noticed, exactly, then that's, a, that's actually worse invalidation, in my opinion.
0: I agree it, and it adds to the shame, um, and it makes it this, you know dirty little secret.
1: Oh, yeah, and it also could make potentially—I don't know about another person, but for me, if I know my parent noticed, and I—and they're not saying anything, and they're just avoiding it, and it's been happening for a while, and they just don't say anything, but I know that—especially if I know that they've seen it, um, then it makes me feel like they, one, don't care, and two, also just are like— um. Yeah, like, I don't care, essentially. It's just kind of like throwing you to the, the wind, so to speak.
0: Yeah, it does feel like that. And they might, I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why someone might not say anything, but.
1: They might not I'm know sure how to they say wouldn't. anything. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And I'm sure they wouldn't want to make it worse, but they're just stuck in this, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to ignore it, but, you know. Um, but I definitely would advise against that.
1: For sure. Um, if there are uh, you know, any parents listening, I advise yeah. to take the empathy approach.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I started self-harming it. I think I was 13. Right. And I didn't share that with my parents. Um, mm-hmm. And they were fairly superficial cuts, right, at the time. And right. they were on my hands. And they were noticed. And it was noticed – In a public sort of forum, we had friends over Mm. and someone said, oh, what have you been doing? Cutting yourself, like making a joke. And in my head I'm like, yeah, I did actually. And I just didn't know how to respond. And that, I will never forget that. You know, I'm, I'm 31 now and I was 13 then and I will never forget it, the feeling of shame. And I don't even remember where the conversation went after that, but people laughed and moved on. Um, wow. But but what I told my parents at the time is that I was just mucking around at school with some scissors um, mm-hmm. and scratching my hand and didn't realize it had cut my hand. That was the feeble story I came up with. Mm. Okay. But and my parents, um, they'd never been through that the, the self harm personally, and they just kind of took that at face value and didn't realize or maybe they didn't want to realize that I was cutting myself because I wasn't coping. Um, And I I wasn't honest with my parents until I was, I think I was about 22. So, you know, almost 10 years later, I Mm -hmm. told them what was actually going on. And I was surprised because I kind of always thought, oh, deep down, they must have known what was happening. But my parents were just shocked. And I oh, think really? they felt a lot of guilt that they didn't realize what was happening. So, yeah. you know, there's so many different sides to this. Oh, but yeah.
1: There's different, m- a lot of different sides. No one's obviously perfect. And especially yeah. if, like, you feel that shame, a person feels that shame and guilt and they uh, uh, do what you felt you had to do then mm-hmm. and, and make up a story. Sometimes, like, people do a hundred percent believe it like i've actually i've had actually a lot of circumstances with that where um because i didn't have i wasn't one they they were i think the right way to say it, kind of like what you're saying is kind of superficial cuts they weren't mm-hmm. as deep as others As mm-hmm. how how bad some other people have um cut themselves um because i always would like cut myself with like a dull knife usually <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. But there was actually times with school when I was going through like high school and stuff and just in general, and they said, or actually even my family, I think one of my family members said that too, of, um, uh, oh, did you get, Did you, are those like cat scratches? Did you just get scratched by a cat? And I mean, you know, especially in a public setting or a social setting, like especially if it's more than one person or when it's kind of, not accused, but it's when it just shows up like that, you don't want to say like, oh, actually, no, I was cutting myself. Like, I don't think anybody wants to really admit it, at least then. They don't want to admit it to those people. Um, Mm. So there was multiple times where sometimes strangers, sometimes friends, sometimes... Family members, I think, uh, said, "Oh, did you get scratched by a cat?" Or those, or they, you know, said, "Oh, are those cat scratches." And I'd be like, "Yep, those are cat you scratches." You know what?
0: The same thing happened to me multiple times. Isn't that bizarre? And one yeah. time when it happened, they asked me, and I just sort of went, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly." I didn't exactly. have a cat. I didn't have friends with cats. So I was just like, "Yep," and they knew me well. Yeah. And they just sort of looked at me, and they went, "No, you weren't." And I'm like. Mm, like it was just so uncomfortable and confrontational mm-hmm. and I was feeling so much shame. So I
1: that's think that's an odd one, this it, cat that scratch is, thing. That mm. is an odd one, and I that is an odd one. And I think a lot of people do go at the cat scratch thing, at least friends in high school I think, did the cat scratch thing as a kind of a thing of of like an opener, so to speak, of saying like how I really feel or how it really happened. Mm. Uh, Cause like, I, I don't know, they didn't actually push it. But, right. I there there was definitely some of them when they asked it and like the body language and stuff. I like, I could feel it. You know, you, you know how you can like feel that like when someone probably knows,
2: mm-hmm. matter if they mm-hmm. do
1: or not, they probably did. hmm a uh, matter if all of them did or not. It's kind of like a situation with your parents. You don't fully know, but you, yeah. you have this sense that they probably yeah. do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I think um, <laughs> if anyone's thinking of using that line, maybe, maybe pause before you do, because you think it might be a lighthearted opener. But for me, it always kind of took me off guard like, Oh shit, you know, and I sort of freeze up. So I, I would mm-hmm. avoid that. Don't, yeah, I
1: wouldn't use that. In my tactic. opinion, I would if you have a friend and you notice it in school and you're in a social setting with more friends, uh I would honestly wait to say something. Yes. yes. Now, I know like if you really care about the person, it's sometimes hard to wait. Mm-hmm. Uh but if you really really like need to talk to them or, about it or something like you feel like really like deep about it like try to wait or if you have their your their phone number uh like text them and say hey can we like talk somewhere or or hey you know I, i'll take them out to lunch and talk about it or whatever or w- whatever it is i mean don't w- also when you take if you were to do the take out to lunch type of scenario or you were to get them alone type of scenario uh Don't just bring that up the first thing. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't had people do that, but like, say at least like, hey, how are you? You know, (laughs) you know, like, be like, you know, or like, especially if you're doing like the lunch scenario, be like, hey, you know, what are you gonna order? And like, get a conversation going a little bit, and then you can bring up like, hey, I noticed today that you that you have some cuts on your arm. Are you doing okay?
0: Yeah, exactly. There's no judgment in that. Um, but I think the other thing I want to say is...
1: So, but it's always can be taken lots of right.
0: different ways. Yeah. And, the, yeah, the other thing I want to say is, you know, you can get in your head worrying about what to say. Because I've been on the other side, had people oh, I yeah. know self-harming. And even though I've been through it, it's like, oh, what do I say? Mm-hmm. Um, But... I think it's better to say something than to not, back to what we were saying before. And it, sure, it's not for sure. its going to be perfect, but just try to have that conversation and keep in mind, you know, try to do it when you're with them one-on-one or in a scenario where they feel safer, not with lots of people there in a big social setting. Like I think that's just too much. Um, but you'll know, you'll know this person well enough to have an idea of where they feel comfortable and safe.
1: For sure. If if anything, if you really don't get a chance to talk to them and you can't talk to them in person, I do think it's a topic you should probably do more in person. But mm. if you have their number and you're close to them, you can always call. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's one way to um, talk to them alone. I also would caution, though, with talking to them on the phone that, you know you kind of try to make a secluded space for them on the phone so you know like hey are you alone right now uh am i on speakerphone you know like that type of stuff and they might be like why 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 do you care why are you wondering and be like oh i just want to have a serious conversation or something
0: at least it gives them a heads up okay this is not just a light chat
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah yeah and one more point i think we should move on to something else but i think this is an important topic i just want to say that self-harm isn't always suicidal i know when i was cutting i was not trying to kill myself and i think that's a huge misconception people think right right in fact um i think it's more common that it's that people self-harm it's non-suicidal there are of course situations where it is but it's it's more common for it to be non-suicidal so bear that in mind
1: for sure i i think that a lot of the time that's a like you said that's a huge misconception A lot of people, they see cutting and they instantly go to suicidal ideation like, oh, they must want to kill themselves or they're they're trying to kill themselves. And I think that's why some people go get to that accusatory type of thing because they're up Mm -hmm. in arms kind of like, oh, well, I don't want this person to kill themselves and worry that they're going to kill themselves. And that's not always the the whole story. Like they may deal with some suicidal ideation too, but that's not – a lot of the time in my own experience with talking to other individuals and my own self that a lot of people don't cut to for suicidal ideation i mean for trying to commit suicide a lot of people um cut like we were talking earlier as a way to relieve or a coping uh coping method for those overwhelming intense emotions because Mm -hmm. they're just so overwhelming and intense that they feel like they can't relieve them any other way right and maybe some of that has a blend of suicidation in there but i i honestly think it it's a case-by-case basis but i honestly would say don't it's better to honestly assume that it's not first than assume that it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I know it's easy to panic, right? It is easy to panic, but you need to just take a breath and, yeah, try to talk about it. Um, you know, and I know for me, I was having suicidal thoughts at the time, but I wasn't cutting in an attempt to kill myself. Yeah. So it's it's complex. But, you know, again, it me. does need to be yeah right right it does need to be taken seriously and i think on one occasion i actually had someone you know like have you thought about killing yourself and whilst that seems like a really blunt question i kind of appreciated the honesty to be honest right but you know there's no one way is there i think you just gotta like you said lead with empathy that's the biggest thing
1: lead lead with definitely that empathy and understanding and i think as humans we really like to talk especially about ourselves. Right. And I think the thing is just be willing to listen. Right.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. Feeling hurt. You don't even necessarily have to say anything once they begin talking. Just listen. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't solve it. You're just not going to be able to. So just listen, let them have, have their voice. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. Like it was really nice to just have this, open conversation about self-harm so thank you for that and i hope for people listening whether you're you are self-harming or whether you you know suspect that someone you love is i hope this conversation was useful because i it it is very taboo and we need to talk about it more because it's it's rife in society like a lot of people self-harm and you wouldn't even know Holy guacamole, what an episode, hey? I hope you enjoyed that um, and please take some time to go just decompress. It was, it was pretty full on. There was a lot of heavy stuff that we spoke about. So take some time um, to process and just get back in the right headspace and come back next week for part two. I'm so excited about this. I know it's not your typical dinner table conversation, but it kind of needs to be. So come back for part two. We'll be diving even deeper. Um, And yeah, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but tune in next week to hear the rest of it. We're going to be sharing so much more value. Take care of yourself. See you next week. If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.